There was once a remarkable man named Freddie Mercury. Now, he didn't start out with that name. You want to guess what it was? Farouk Bulzara. Freddie Mercury was born on the island of Zanzibar in 1946. And if you remember Freddie Mercury at all, you know that it's absolutely appropriate that he would come from such an exotic place as Zanzibar. Because he was an exotic person in all the nicest senses of that word. He was something. A showman from the first to the end. He was brought up in British colonial schools where his musical genius was developed. And in the 1970s and 80s, he was the lead singer of a rock and roll band called Queen. I don't know why I liked them. <laughs> but I did. Now, some of you all are wondering why I think I have to tell anyone who Freddie Mercury was, since he is a gay icon whose music is still heard routinely on the radio and even in some football stadiums. Can you sing it along with me? We will, we will rock you. Rock. That's right, that's right. That's Freddie Mercury and Queen. So I, I have some bad news for you. Uh, some of you who are a certain age are wondering why I'm even having to tell people about Freddie Mercury at all, right? Uh, but there are a lot of people here who don't know about him because next November he will have been dead for 20 years. Now, if that doesn't make some of us feel old, I don't know what, what does. So there are a lot of us here this morning who don't know much about Freddie Mercury himself, but we all know something of his musical legacy. I was and remain a huge fan of Freddie's and of Queen. The music was great, but I won't kid you. I was a fan because Freddie was gorgeous. Honey, I, 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 I don't know if he invented what we gay men used to call the clone look, but he perfected it. <laughs> Smoldering good looks, big, thick, dark mustache, and the man could wear a pair of pants. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I was preaching. Uh, <laughs> Because Freddie was such a consummate showman, I think it would please him to know that we are talking about him today, that he is, in fact, remembered fondly 20 years later. But it would surprise him, I think, to hear that his song, Bohemian Rhapsody, was played so beautifully this morning by our handbell choir. And in this setting... It surprised me a little way back last October when Jim Winslet told me that he was working on a new arrangement of Bohemian Rhapsody and that Heaven Sound would be playing it someday in church once I got here. In church? I could see why they'd want to do it musically. It is beautiful, as you heard, and, and, and every reason in the world to want to play it. But in church? Because when you know the sung version the version with the lyrics of Bohemian Rhapsody, it's a lot of things, provocative and exciting and moving, but I would not call it uplifting, right? Did you get a chance to check out the lyrics to it? We printed them on page 8 in your worship folder. 
Now, I'm going to give you a minute to just glance back there at page 8, at the lyrics to Bohemian Rhapsody. They tell the story of a young man who has committed murder and been condemned to die. And the young man begins and ends his story with resignation to his understanding that life isn't really real. That nothing really matters. Weren't some of you all singing along in your heads, nothing really matters, nothing really matters to me. I've been listening to that song since 1975. And it has haunted me each time I've heard it. Now, Freddie Mercury would act surprised to hear me say that if he were here. He, he told an interviewer once that his songs didn't have any hidden meanings in them. And all he was trying to do was create a mood and entertain people. Now, my grandma would say she didn't believe her own lies when she told them. Uh, I think he was pulling that interviewer's leg. Bohemian Rhapsody is great art because it continues to speak long after the immediate experience of hearing it or seeing it is over. And what this song has made me do for more than 35 years is wrestle with the demon of judgment and ask myself whenever I've heard it, does life really matter or is it just a fantasy? So Jim, I want to thank you wherever you are. I've lost you. There you are. I want to thank you for bringing Bohemian Rhapsody into this space. Because the questions of whether life matters are questions we ought to be asking in church. The Apostle Paul wrestled with the question. He wrote his letters to the church at Corinth partly in reaction to news that some of the Christians in Corinth were criticizing him and judging his ministry among them in comparison to that of others who had followed him there. Remember Apollos and Peter? We've talked about him several times in the last several weeks. Judgments were flying. Opinions were offered right and left as to whether Paul's ministry, that to which he had given his whole life, really mattered. We can forgive Paul if he says a little too loudly in our text for the day, it's a very small thing to me if you judge me. I think it probably mattered quite a lot to Paul, what people thought of him in Corinth. But when he responded to their criticism, he mostly rose above the inclination to defend himself against whatever it was he'd been accused of. Paul chose instead to reframe the conversation. He chose to reframe the conversation. He told the folks at Corinth that they were missing the point. The meaning of my life, he said, the meaning of Apollos' life and Peter's life is not to be found in which among us was the best at what we did or whether we won popularity contests. Think of us, he told them, not as leaders to be elected and honored, but as servants and stewards of the gifts of God through Christ Jesus. Paul said he was willing to leave judgment to God and to wait for the assessment God would give when Paul's heart and Apollos' heart and Peter's too were fully revealed and the fruits of their labors could be fully known. Then, he said, he believed all three would receive commendation from the only judge who mattered because each of them had made their lives matter 
for building out the reign of God here on earth. In our gospel lesson, Jesus talked about another kind of judgment. The judgment he refers to is not the kind that is leveled at us by others because by and large, other people don't think about us very much. Really, they don't spend a whole lot of time in their day thinking about me or you. And they sure don't think about what we eat or what we wear, right? Where we're going to sleep, how much money we have. But, oh, God, do we spend a lot of time thinking about that. Jesus told his disciples and the crowd gathered around over here that what matters in life is to whom our lives are dedicated. If we dedicate our lives to God and to working each day to make the reign of God manifest in our house, on our block, in our school, in our town, in our country, then the challenges that present each day will be enough to concern us. And the miracles God grants to help us will be more than sufficient to sustain us. But if we give our lives over to comparisons of what we have against what other folks have next door, or down the block, or at the rival school, or in another town, or in another country, well, then we will be condemned to a hell of poverty forever. We have a choice. We can have enough in a real place of our own co-creation, a country called contentment. Or we can be in constant want in a land called comparison. Our lives can be lives that matter, or they can be meaningless fantasies. God grant us the wisdom to choose the realm of plenty that is at hand over never, ever, ever having enough in a fantastic future that never comes. <laughs>